HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're spotlighting the people, dishes, and ingredients decolonizing food. We're looking at our Thanksgiving plates and beyond to explore efforts to reclaim food sovereignty in Native American culture, the African diaspora, and Puerto Rico. I believe that oyster dressing is like the consummate side dish for an amazing fried turkey. What we're doing there is just working the land and we're laughing and we're creating a space for joy. And it's in that that healing occurs for us. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Life's a Banquet, a podcast about the final days of living on the planet Earth with me, your host, <laughs> Nicholas Cage, and... And me, also Nicholas Cage. <laughs> Two Cage... A Cage match? <laughs> Is this I think cage it's match? like a face-off. Oh, yeah. Should we... I think... Did we talk about this already on the show, or was this just personal about a Cage match? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's probably come up. Absolutely. Anything Sounds Nicolas like Cage can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than Nicolas Cage. Are you saying, oh, so you're, you're like saying that your life is like a cage match? Yeah, basically. <laughs> you're like one-upping him at all times? Exactly. Take that, Nicolas Cage. Okay. Well, I don't try to cage me. Your version of, um, Face what's Off? The one, what's the one where they catch him on fire and the bees? He's like, the bees, the bees. Oh, yeah. About like the, the olden times, the Wicker Man. <laughs> yeah. He's amazing at freaking out. I watched, um, I've got Nicolas Cage on the brain, obviously. When don't I? But I came home the other night and was so tired and just brain dead. And I watched The Family Man. Oh, I love that with Taya Leone. Yes, Taya oh, Leone. I love that. It really is quite good. And it's he does cute. A, it's very cute. And he does a lot of Nick Cage classic freaking out, which is great. He's like, well, how, how could this be? Where am I? It's like Scrooged or A Christmas totally. Carol, basically. Yeah. Um, I love that movie. I think it's freaking cheesy and adorable. And I, Taylor Leone, smoking hot. 
Yeah, Taylor Lautner's great. And then last night I watched a movie equally. Well, this one, this movie was not great, but um, it was a Bonnie Hunt vehicle. She was in it and she directed it and wrote it. It was called Return to Me. Bonnie Hunt, Dave- star of Jerry Maguire. Exactly. <laughs> America's most famous celebrity, Bonnie Hunt. And um, it was also with David Duchovny. Jumanji. <laughs> oh, yes. Jumanji. Sorry. What was the movie? It was called Return to Me. It was kind of oh. almost like Untamed Heart in that it featured a young mini driver having received a heart transplant. Although not from a baboon, but there was a large ape in the movie. Huh. Which came first? Mm. What, the ape or mini driver? The Untamed Heart or Return to Me. I think that Untamed Heart did because this must have been from late 90s and Untamed Heart is definitely in early 90s. Who is the male person in it? I feel like I've seen this like DVD cover, but I've never seen this movie. Well, the reason I brought it up is because the male star is David Duchovny, husband right. and sex That's addict of right. Tay Leone. Yes, yeah, they're still friends. Are they married still? No, they they got divorced, but they remained close friends. Amazing, and I'm I'm assuming they're both listening now, guys. Please call <laughs> into the, the show, the Duchovnys, the, the once and former Duchovnys. <sighs> Holy shit! How well, was your you know thing? What I watched last night is a movie. Another movie that I never wanted to watch because the DVD looks so stupid is Crossing Delancey. What is that? It's a really. It's kind of a. It's in the. It's in the vein of. Um, Moonstruck. Okay. Uh, except for instead of Italian, there's Jewish. Nice. And um, Amy Irving. Who the hell star, is that? Star of Carrie. Oh. Um, star Carrie? Of, she plays the, the regular brown-haired teenager, the one who's not the mean one. In Oh, uh, okay. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. She was also married to Steven Spielberg for a while, back in the oh, day. Wow. Before he married... Blonde lady that he's still married to. Um, oh yeah, what is her Kate name? Kate Capshaw. Kate Capshaw. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it's Amy Irving. There's um an early a young the brother from Frasier. What's his name? David Hyde Pierce. Oh, Niles. What uh, a nerd. There's, there's a young the bad guy from The Fugitive. <laughs> the guy who's like the he's like vaguely foreign. Yeah. 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 Oh, and he kind of looks like Mr. Big from Sex and the City, but he's yeah. not him. Okay, uh-huh. yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this guy. I just know you from being the bad, spoiler alert, the bad guy in The Fugitive. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen The Fugitive, stop <laughs> listening now. And go watch Crossing Delancey first. Um, but it's cute. It's just a little, it's a little rom, like rom-com, super 80s. Um, and the, the main character is pretty hot, but I don't really, I'd never heard of it before. So Really? An unknown hottie? Yeah, but it's cute. But I looked it up on the internet and I saw the DVD cover and I'm like, this is why I've seen this DVD cover. And it's just like a huge, a giant picture of Amy Irving's face. And then it's a teeny tiny little picture of the guy that she ends up getting with. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> is the guy she ends up getting with the guy from the, the villain from The Fugitive? Mm-mm. Not Harrison Ford. Guys, guess what? Harrison Ford didn't do it. It was, in fact, a one-armed man. He did not kill his wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, a great um, movie. Good movie. Yeah. Amazing. H. Ford. Oh, I um, also watched, sorry, one more. No, please. Good God, go on. I watched the second movie from the guy who made the movie um, with where it's just like four people that swing in the 70s. What's it called? Like Bob Carroll. Oh, sure. Brian Peter, Paul, Alice Mary, Rosemary <laughs> Time. <laughs> 
So he made this other movie called um, Bloom in Love about a divorce lawyer who is in love with his ex-wife. And it's pretty fun. Cool. It's all about swinging California in the 70s. Ooh, key parties? Yeah. You know, I'm going to now bring up one more movie because, guys, in (laughs) case you thought this was a historical food podcast, you're wrong. It's a movie podcast about movies you don't care about. So I'm going to talk about a movie called The Ice Storm. Um, oh, everyone knows about the ice cream. Which was a which is a great movie. Um, but, and features a key party. Oh and yeah, things and go Sigourney terribly Weaver wrong in a career revival. Yes, and Sigourney Weaver. It's true. She did get she did get in there, minus mm-hmm. the aliens. Yeah, it was just her having an affair with someone I don't remember. <laughs> with some bland white man <laughs> <laughs> who was not nearly hot enough for her. Um, how was your Thanksgiving, my friend? It was fine. I My sister came and picked me up, and we went to her house, and it was just me and her and her boyfriend and her dog, and they all work from home, so it was safe. Um, cool. And yeah, we just ate a bunch of turkey and trimmed the tree. I made a bunch of tiki drinks. I made some painkillers. I made Ooh. some Mai Tais. What the hell? Um, Did you make Orjot yeah. for it? No, I bought it. Oh, but you had Orjat on hand. Yeah. yeah Great. Yeah. It's hard to find that Orjat. We used to make it well, at Brucey. It was very time-consuming. Yeah, I actually... You, well, you can make it from almond milk to avoid having to, like, do all the shit with the almonds. But um, I just found... So I did a little research. I, like, it was hard to find, like, a natural version in Chicago. Um, so I ended up just buying the Giffard brand version of it which is it's very very almondy so some people are anti that but i actually like it i like the really strong almond marzipan flavor um and they Me just too. use almond extract in there so i actually was very fine with that version because the the homemade versions of the really natural ones don't have a strong of a flavor so, right and then in which case what's the point i made a cake a couple of months like two months ago and brought it up to my friend alexis's house it was like a plum almond cake and I put some almond extract in it and the kids like all weekend were like we have cake we have some of the cake like they were just dying for it and finally she let them have some and they all like <laughs> pour their faces just like completely soured and they all like spit it out they're like we don't like this cake because it had like so much <laughs> almond extract in it they like hated it and now oh, I, I feel like it. they don't I feel like they don't like anything I make because like I've scarred them with like a mm-hmm. little bit of almond extract which is fine yeah I mean Little kids, they're very picky. They're picky, my, but they're goddamn cute. My nephew has been roasting a lot of vegetables here, and he keeps asking me for the salty white broccoli that I keep roasting. <laughs> what is the salt? Oh, cauliflower? It's cauliflower. <laughs> salty white broccoli. Yeah. That's funny. That's like right. Joe Biden's nickname in high school. It <laughs> <laughs> makes no sense, but it's so funny. That's his nickname now. Salty white broccoli here. I'm reporting for president. <laughs> Thanks. I'll take it from here. Did Orange, you see that, those pictures of him like lifting weight to the gym? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was disturbing. Wow. That's hilarious. That's amazing. He's trying to one up Ruth Bader Ginsburg. He's kind of ripped. Is he? Is he hot? We don't know it. He's definitely not hot. Hmm. I think Bernie Sanders is hot, but I know that I'm very much oh, alone right. in my belief that well. of that. I have a thing for old, bald Jews with an attitude. Because <laughs> I also like Larry David. Okay. Well, they're related, so. I know. That's funny that they're related, isn't it? It sure is. 
Um, but so not she, really, if you think about it, because <laughs> they look alike, they talk alike. <laughs> yeah, they even kind of walk alike. Um, so I, since you asked, I went up to Kingston to visit uh, my friends that I was just speaking about, Alexis and her family. Very sweet. We had a friend who brought some delicious pheasant. Mm. Look, pheasant is is good. Who knew? I'd never had it before, but old tiny um, people. Yeah, well, people in the old days, in the ancient old days, did know it was good. But you know what? They were right. It was very delicious. And yeah, we just, what's like, the difference it. between a pheasant and a goose? Uh, just like a different outfit, I think. Hmm. I think a pheasant is leaner because have you these... had a goose before? Have I had a goose? Of course, I've had a goose, Nicole. I had a goose really? last night. <laughs> just kidding. I didn't. Imagine I made myself like a whole glistening goose. <laughs> You're just <laughs> so, like recreating the 12 days of Christmas. Yeah, I just eat a different fowl each day. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've had goose. It's very, there's a lot of fat on a goose. And like the pheasant had fat, but not nearly as much as like a goose is just like, Sounds seems gross. unhealthy. It is, you know what? <laughs> it is kind of gross. And I also <laughs> fuck geese. They're shitty animals they're awful I know. they're nasty there's so many geese all over the place here because we have so many fucking sub like subdivisions with all mm-hmm. the urban sprawl here um and so there's just geese shit everywhere yeah they're awful i've been bitten by a goose on like i don't know dozens of times because i grew up uh my dad was the manager of a golf course and so we lived on the property and it was littered with geese and they would bite and snap and take your food and they're they're horrible and they shit everywhere they have no manners although i did have a gladys goose lamp growing up that i wish i still had because now they're worth thousands of dollars are you familiar with the gladys goose lamp yeah for some reason i looked them up on the internet because somebody posted on instagram.com and when i found out that they were five hundred dollars i was shocked yeah we had one in my house they were all the rage i think in like this late 70s Maybe even earlier, but I remember we had one, and I asked my mom about it, and I think she just burned it in a fire. A glass item? It wasn't glass. It was plastic. Oh, it's... Ew. That's even worse. Yeah. I have a question for you, Nicole, about eating exotic birds. Why do you think we don't eat swans? Somebody's eating a swan. Well, I mean, clearly somebody's eating a swan, but like... It's because of the ugly duckling, that children's story. It's pro-swan propaganda. (laughs) Pro sw- Swanaganda. <laughs> Are you working yeah. for Big Swan? Yeah. Big Swan. Um, you know, you work but- for Dove. <laughs> <laughs> dare you? How fucking dare you? Look, I wouldn't eat a dove. I mean, that's not true. I would eat a dove. What's the difference between a dove and a chicken, really? Right. At the end of the day, what's a turtle dove? Is that different from a freaking regular dove? Well, it's that's like, in the 12 days of Christmas. Right. A turtle dove is like, remember what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago when people would sew different animals together? So a turtle <laughs> yep. dove is just a dove <laughs> with a dove's butt and a turtle, a turtle upper a turtle's body. A turtle's face. But they can still fly. <laughs> <laughs> it is a dove that has dove wings um, and a dove butt, but it has turtle fangs and a turtle's face and claws. And it uses dove body wash. And it uses Dove body wash, and it's great at karate, and it loves pizza. <laughs> Just like every other turtle that we know. But look, anyone out there who has dined on swan flesh, please call into the show. David Duchovny, I'm looking at you. <laughs> yeah. He looks like a swan nibbler, doesn't he? Sure, uh, yeah. Those celebrities mm. always eating crazy pheasants. <laughs> 
celebrities always packing their gullets full of rare <laughs> birds, eagles, and vultures. It's like before they have like the secret sex party, they all eat rare birds. <laughs> <laughs> and then some of them are rare birds. Isn't that like the the conspiracy theory of like the reptilian race that they're? I mean, birds are reptiles. So what we're trying to tell you guys is that David Duchovny is a swan. It goes all the way to the top. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Oh, my God. Well, we've uncovered it, folks. Should we get into (sighs) our topic? Yeah, let's talk about um, something that I'm sure everyone is thinking about today, six days after Thanksgiving, and that's leftovers. Mmm, yum. (laughs) Yeah. My first angle was to just find some really disgusting and or elaborate leftovers to make fun of. But then I realized that that is rude and also probably a little bit class shamey. Totally. I kind of had the same feeling too about leftovers, like wanting to say, ew, leftovers. But I mean, how how elitist. I do have a couple of things. One is that there was a Thanksgiving leftover sandwich recipe posted in the New York Times and Mm -hmm. people freaked out about it did you see this i did yes but please tell our (laughs) listeners because it's hilarious people were not having it they're like i've had enough of this year not a thanksgiving sandwich on top of it god damn it one of the (laughs) one of the comments that i read was just like (laughs) what a thanksgiving sandwich that makes even more leftovers this is ridiculous and just like went off he's like i will not be making this sandwich okay okay Okay, cool good to have fun not doing we don't care nobody asked um and the other thing i saw which gave me pause was the thanksgiving crunch wrap supreme recipe no (laughs) i love a crunch wrap supreme me too turkey and also the picture of it, there's like <laughs> there's a picture of it where it has like turkey and like cranberry dressing, but also like scallions. <laughs> scallions? Scary. Yeah. Is it supposed to be vaguely like Mexican too? Is there like jalapenos in it or I don't even know. It was I was deeply troubled. But you know, no leftover shaming, whatever you guys gotta do. We made a left we made a turkey casserole thing at my sister's house. Good. That makes sense. My thing with like Thanksgiving leftovers is that I think Again, I'm not trying to leftover shame either or be elitist or, like, be negative about, like, say, being frugal or not wasting food. But I think with Thanksgiving leftovers, a lot of times people try to, like, be as, like, I don't know, over-the-top, like, disgusting and, like, I'm I'm searching for the word. Um, I don't know, just making things that are, like, over-the-top that, like, shouldn't be eaten. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. A casserole is fine. The other sure, thing that I great. thought was kind of annoyed by, I also, we just made these things where I took the leftover mashed potatoes, mixed cheese and an egg in there and put them in muffin tins. And those were freaking good. Wow. Look at you. You're a real regular Betty Crocker. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, but I, people, I saw a recipe for like turkey tikka masala, but like if you don't have that shit already to go, then exactly your refrigerator is already jam packed full of thanksgiving items and you're gonna go go make turkey tikka masala i don't know you could just eat just... like the same thing like <laughs> i don't understand the repurposing on day two do you know <laughs> what i mean maybe like a soup or something but it's like if you still have mad of everything just eat the same thing over again that's what yeah. i don't get yeah anyways so i decided to just kind of look around and see what's out there and i found an article called the economic history of leftovers Love in it. the atlantic by helen viet from 2005 the simpler time 
Um, <laughs> really was, huh? And I'm basically just going to read it to you guys verbatim, okay? <laughs> Great. I'm just going to put on my sleeping cap. <laughs> <laughs> and settle in for a long winter's nap, okay? <laughs> okay, so in the 19th century, maybe you've heard of it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. People... <laughs> People didn't have, there wasn't a category for leftovers because using leftover food was so fundamental. So, like, it wasn't, mm. like, you would just, because there was no refrigeration, um, the the preserving process was part of the cooking process. So, it was right. just, like, we're cooking. For breakfast, you're going to eat whatever was finished from dinner. Um, and that's, you know, people were pickling things and smoking things and salting things. And... Um, there was always a big simmering stock pot on the stove and you mm. just throw all your trash in there. Totally. Get, put a bone, put a bone in and now you got a stew going like Carl Weathers likes to say. Yeah. But your house is going to be so smelly. Um, your dugout. And also <laughs> I'm just picturing Lauren Ingalls Wilder during all of these 19th century <laughs> moments as she would like. She would um, love it. She would love this episode. <laughs> so by the turn of the century, ice boxes had come around and been invented, and they were becoming standard in the home, and then electric refrigerators followed pretty soon after that. And that basically just changed how everybody ate. So basically, in one generation, we stopped making cheese, pickling eggs, and making ketchup, which is my favorite part of the beginning of Meet Me in St. Louis, a great movie. I've never seen Judy it. Judy Garland. It's a Christmas um, movie, right? It's it's not really a Christmas movie, but that the song Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was written for that movie. Got it. Okay. Um, so it could be considered Christmassy. Um, and so when the refrigerator sort of became a thing, the term leftovers was invented. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1910, a cookbook called Leftover Foods and How to Use Them was commissioned by a refrigerator corporation. Mm, very sneaky big refrigerator. Those corporations are always trying to make cookbooks. Like, we're not going to notice what's going on, but we noticed. Exactly. (laughs) In the early 20th century, Americans spent 40% of their income on food. Whoa. Now we spend 40% of our income on rent and student loans. (laughs) Yes. And what what do we spend on food? Like Less than 10%. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Not me. I spend so much money on food. And then I barely even eat anything and just put it in my, like, freezer. <laughs> my, and then my freezer just broke because there's so much food in it. Yeah. <laughs> I have That's a problem. A rich person's problem. Okay. So there was also, in the early 20th century, 40% of your income was spent on food. And there were diseases of malnutrition, like rickets and pellagra, which I had never heard of. What the fuck is rickets even, though? Don't we want to know what that is? I live in a time is? of food excess. What is rickets? And rickets is a disease of malnutrition. <laughs> I know, but I mean, what happens to you? It sounds itchy. Is it itchy? I don't. I don't know. I think it stunts your growth. I. I don't really know. Listen, if anyone out there has rickets, <laughs> do you have any? Again, we're looking at you. Please call in. Um, I did that. Just made me think of a really bad joke, which is rickets don't lose my number. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't want to make fun of diseases of malnutrition. So let's move on. Okay. Uh, so these diseases hit the poor the most. So they didn't have the luxury of leftover food because they were just eating. They're like, you know, they're barely getting enough to eat right. from meal to meal. So for them, leftovers were not a thing. Um, mm. And so basically it was just a problem for the 
early 20th century upper middle classes. Then during World War II, leftovers became a moral issue because the United States started an international food aid program to help the allies where the war fucked up food production. So Mm. they're like, hey, buddies, um, thanks for being on our side. Sorry that we bombed your food factory. Here is some food. Um, and they became a, a big some turkey propag- yeah. They started a big propaganda situation um, where they focused on America's Americans eating all of their leftovers, and for housewives to eat every single crumb and to not waste any food because of the poor, starving children in Belgium. Um, wow. And so things like goulash and casseroles started to become part of the American diet. Um, people really went for this patriotic leftover eating um (laughs) some people said that (laughs) restaurants should sell food scraps from dirty plates so that they didn't go in the trash no perfect that we used to do that at brucey yeah you would sell them (laughs) yeah Um, just a little (laughs) i don't know who else would sell them too but that's fine uh people said just kidding people said that it was immoral to own pets because they ate food that could be sent to starving children so the thing about this is that back then Pets ate old human food. They didn't have pet food. They never had pet food. Okay. Those poor assholes are eating like boiled milk. (laughs) I think it's boiled milk, but spoiled milk is worse. (laughs) Boiled milk is delicious. Um, Spoiled milk and old bread, and everyone's like, it's immoral for you to have a pet in the first place. And I'm like, it's immoral to feed your pets boiled milk. Totally. Um, and, and also that was when pets like strictly had to sleep and live outside. Like the dog was never even allowed in the house. So here's this poor animal just like living outside all winter. eating. Like, Why like, did the... you even domesticate me? You guys are the worst. He's I'm like, just I hate eat burnt lasagna. All these possums. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, people were like, it's immoral to own a pet. And some Americans <laughs> killed their pets. What? Rather than feed them leftovers that could go to the family or to the starving children. And newspapers lauded these people as patriotic. <gasps> How do you think they killed them? Is it weird that that's my first question? Yeah, it's just like old yeller. Like, do you just shoot them? I guess everyone had a gun back then. It's not the old West, but... Or do you, you just, like, shoot sh- them. You can strangle just stop it? eating them. <laughs> I'm just, like, having an issue with, like, thinking about, like, how these people are killing their pets. Like, my first thought was that they... I don't know. Let's just stop there. <laughs> a whole generation of children are traumatized because their dad had to shoot their cat and their dog. I mean, how much fucking too food much could a cat milk. eat? <laughs> how, much could, <laughs> how much could you be giving to a cat? I could see a dog. Okay, kill kill the dog. It's it's eating you out of house and home. It's but <laughs> a tiny cat. You're gonna uh, just beat it against a tree rather than just give it a couple of crumbs of apple pie. I mean, whatever. Yeah, Patriots. that's a shame. Wow. That is patriotic, um, though. Yeah, that is what the movie The Patriot is all about. <laughs> That's what the Patriot Act it was written for. <laughs> um, okay, so then the war is over. Everyone's like, yay, it's the 1920s, and Americans hate leftovers because food is cheap and we are rich. Mm. Rich people start to brag about how they never eat leftovers. There's a whole thing about wealthy Southerners talking about how they give their leftover food to their servants, which is a whole thing about they. I can't. I didn't write down what it was called because I'm a bad researcher, but it was called like something about giving something about giving their employees leftovers was a way for people in the South to not pay their servants 
a living wage because they're cool. like, well, we give them food, so they don't need to make as much money. Interesting. And it's real shady. Still and not doing cool. that today. It's amazing that they didn't all get murdered by their servants. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Not so yet. So everyone's <laughs> like, yay, it's the 1920s. I hate leftovers. I'm rich. I'm in the Great Gatsby. I was just going to say that. <laughs> um, but then the depression comes and everyone's like, hold on. Leftovers are great. I am starving to death because of the Dust Bowl. Mm. So as you can see, which makes sense, leftovers sort of popularity waxes and wanes based on how much money people have. Um, then, so basically in the depression, because it lasted so long and because so much of the population was poor, everyone was talking about it. They were talking about how leftovers are, you know, honorable. You should get creative with it. It's like a way for the housewife to be creative and show her spunk. Um, that's how we got. So this is when things like pot pies and meatloafs and aspics started coming into happening where you just put all your leftovers into a jello mold Mm. um there's also such things as ham banana rolls with cheese sauce no no (laughs) hey you no 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 banana no ham banana cheese banana a ham and a banana walk into a bar and get some (laughs) cheese sauce (laughs) and they say hey cover me in cheese sauce there's also something called a beef put together, which I didn't look up because I want you to use your imagination. Oh, interesting. Because my first thought was a steak wearing a suit and tie. Huh. I was just thinking of a beef Wellington. Oh, okay. That is probably sort more of, reasonable. We, we did sort of a version of that too with our Thanksgiving leftovers. We just stuffed mashed potatoes, gravy, and turkey into puff pastry. It was good. That sounds great. Uh, there's also this dish which where you pureed carrots, presumably leftover Add breadcrumbs to them and then form them back into the shape of a carrot. <laughs> oh, that's cute. But it is a lot of work for no reason, huh? Uh, well, not for no reason because you're using those leftovers because you're poor as hell. No, I understand. I'm just saying, like, I don't understand. Well, that's fine. I guess it makes sense. I would have just done something more like pureeing the carrots, maybe topping it with breadcrumbs and baking it to mush it back into a regular carrot. Seems wild, but. Yeah. Well, it's time consuming, so you forget. How, how desperately you poor you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then, you know, leftovers were chill for a while. And then in the 60s, they became a joke again. Because in the 60s, a large portion of America was way more well-off. And so mm-hmm. they didn't need to eat leftovers. They weren't food insecure. And so they were only spending 25% of their income on food now. And food was just getting cheaper and cheaper. So... Mm-hmm. They weren't like, let's make an angel food cake with all these leftover egg whites. Let's just throw all the egg whites in the trash. Just throw them so, out the window. Throwing away edible food became, or is, has always been, but was in the 60s a, a sign of financial security. Um, and we started to throw away a shit ton of edible food. And that right. sort of led us to where we are now, where we still throw away a shit ton of edible food, but but leftovers are back in style. So I'm sure that you're aware of people trying to do like the no waste lifestyle where they don't use, they don't wait, they don't throw anything away when they cook. Um, yes. And they're, you know, people are more conscious of the actual hidden costs of food, like water and the environment and livestock and workers on farms. Um, and so, it's right. back in style, you would say. But I feel like saying that leftovers are back in style is classist because, like, I grew up always eating leftovers. Yeah, I agree. My family. Mm-hmm. Me too. Always 
I mean, my family won't even get a pizza delivered because of the extra delivery charge. They go pick up their pizza every time, which I am annoyed by now in my old age. But <laughs> my fucking my grandfather, we you know, we were pretty broke. My parents were pretty broke when I was really little. And we lived at my grandparents' house and they had a tiny house and they were not very well off either. And my grandpa grew up in the depression, my dad's dad. And he was the most frugal person ever. He would pick the dandelion greens out of the cracks in the driveway mm-hmm. and cook them. He would always go clamming. And my dad told me, my parents dif- differ on this story, but my dad told me that I had a bunny when I was little. I never knew what happened to it. And my dad said that my grandpa took it out of the cage and cooked it and we and ate it. Well, that's the same. I mean, that's like also growing up during the Depression, I think. Because yeah. my grandma knew how to shoot squirrels and eat them but she never she didn't do it anymore when i was alive but she had done it in her childhood yeah my grandpa Um, was just like a very because you know that's once you are like that i don't think it really wears off too quickly i completely agree and this man like just couldn't he was in the korean war he was just that kind of guy and i think he couldn't reconcile people having a pet probably because like he had to kill his own pet and so he decided to to also kill my pet pet. (laughs) yeah He's like, this kid does not need to keep feeding all of this sour milk to this rabbit. <laughs> also, bunny. rabbits are kind of gross to have as pets. They're just like, I had yeah. a friend who had Damn. rabbits and she nailed their cages to the wall for some reason. And they would just always pee all over the wall. Why? Really who is this person? Crazy person. The son of Sam? Um, yeah, like, I mean, rabbits are adorable, but they're, they shit. They just like won't agree to shit in one concentrated place. They like, can't get it. Why could we train every other animal? If we can eat an eagle, they're... we can certainly train a bunny. Am I right? No, they're not very smart. They're like hamsters. Mm. Hamsters at least know how to run on the wheel. What do bunnies do? They drown in their own water dish. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, my friend's bunny, not the one who nailed into a wall, a different friend who had a rabbit. Her rabbit drowned in its water dish. How do you have so many friends who own rabbits? That's pretty freaky, huh? I don't know. What Suburban kind of circles are you Indiana. running in? <laughs> you go to you move back to Indiana, everyone has a bunny and you're like the odd man out. They're like, Where's your bunny, Nicole? No, this was in the eighties. I feel like oh, I don't know anyone yeah. first I don't know anyone at all. I have no friends because of COVID. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I live a completely isolated life, rabbit free. And <laughs> Maybe that's what you're missing. In the eighties a lot of my friends had rabbits. No, me too, actually. In the, I thought we were talking about now. Um, in the 80s and 90s, I, ble- I think that rabbits were very popular. And you know what else was a popular pet in the 80s and 90s, which I'm very glad went the way of the dodo bird? Um, not meaning it's extinct, just meaning it's gross uh, and stupid. A ferret. Yeah, my friend in college had a pet ferret, and I did not like it. Unacceptable. Unacceptable pet. They're smart, though. Yeah, but they're just like... They're like those, you know, those tubes, they're like long balloons that have a hole in the middle and they're full of water. No. That toy, it's like a, a weird toy that kids have. It's like a long. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're about. That's a ferret. I mean, it, except the ferret has hair and very sharp teeth. Yeah, they're weird. They're like weasels, but. Um, they are weasels. They're house weasels. One time I used to work for the Department of Education in New York and we would go we went upstairs to this abandoned cafeteria and I found a magazine called Ferret Monthly. No. Yeah. And they I had I took it. I don't have it anymore, but I 
<laughs> oh my god! I recently found a picture of it in my phone. I was like, oh my god, Ferret Monthly! I forgot about you. Wow, dude, that that's gonna go on my all-time deal breakers list. You're <laughs> you hit it off with someone new. They're really amazing. You really like them. You're just connecting. The sex is great. You have the same interests. Like it's you're like I finally met them. And then you go back to their house and hidden underneath their pillow is a copy of Ferret Monthly. Which is now out of print, so it's even weirder. Oh, a vintage Ferret Monthly? Or what if it even worse, Ferret Weekly? Right, Ferret. Like the, like the TV guide, but for ferrets. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe that's hilarious. Okay, should we take a little break Come back mm-hmm. and, and uh, we'll hear the rest of this story? Yep. Okay, great. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's Central Coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select Whole Food markets throughout California, and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R meatco.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. And we're back everyone we're ladies back. And germs. I just want to mention that I switched my chair that I normally sit in. I nor- normally sit in this like yellow chair it's one of my dining chairs and I have it on my computer and it's quite rickety it makes a lot of noise so today I switched to like a leather chair that I have in my house but it is making I don't know if you can hear that kind of like gastrointestinal yeah. sound so in case you're curious it's just the chair everyone <laughs> okay. thank god you told me I know. I knew that you that inquiring minds wanted to know. Okay, so I'm going to start you off with a couple of jokes here, and and it'll give be a dead giveaway as to what my topic is. But <laughs> so if you're going to murder someone, do it with a Tupperware top. No one will ever be able to find it. It's <laughs> <laughs> clever. It's clever. It's funny because it's true. It's true. Just ask my mom who refuses to organize her Tupperware, and that's what I love about you most, Mom, is that you just have this giant, giant cabinet underneath your sink that's just like a Tupperware graveyard. She's not alone. And millions of Americans have the same issue. It's true. It's it's really wacky. It's like a ball pit, but full of Tupperware. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. The sound of the rummaging is the best. And she always, like, she'll always go and look through it. And, you know, my mom's like a sweetie pie, but she also has just this, like, really, she gets frustrated easily, so she'll be looking through it, and she's like, fucking shit, cunt, fuck. <laughs> just, like, can't find a Tupperware. I'm like, are you okay? She's like, this fucking shit Tupperware, I just need to organize it one of these days. This has been, like, what she's been saying since I was born. 
Well, that's what my, so my parents have a very, very, very tiny, tiny, like the kitchen that you would have in a mobile home, like a, not even, a, not a mobile home, but like a, an RV. Okay. Like that's the size of the kitchen that they have. And so I was talking to my stepmom and I was like, you know, we could get some stuff to organize this situation because you only have one cabinet and to fit everything into the oh, one wow. cabinet. And, that's rough. Uh, and she was like, no, this house is too old for me to buy the organizing stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm like so many hours of your life will be unfrustrated. She's probably just wondering what she's going to do with all her free time. She doesn't have to look. Exactly. It felt like also when you're used to your own like weird thing in your house, like it's just like, well, I live this way. And so I'm used to it. And so it's fine. Every time I take out a goddamn skillet, I have to put, take off like 16 things off the top of it. And we use that thing every day. Infuriating. It is annoying. I, I will give it. I will give it to you. It is very I'm annoying. I'm so angry. <laughs> oh my god! Just relax. So I have one more joke for you. Why did the walrus okay. go to the Tupperware party? To I don't know. He wanted to find himself a tight seal. <laughs> Are walrus have to, into seal? I know, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. For this, you have to believe that walruses and seals co co bang each other, crossbreed. Are they going to eat the seal or are they going to date? Well, I think judging by the fact they said tight, he's looking for a seal with like a, you know, a tight puss. <laughs> oh, I thought he meant like she's tight. Like, oh, tight. she's tight. Okay. I mean, obviously my brain obviously went totally <laughs> south of the border because <laughs> I'm a 15 year old boy at heart and in my brain. Okay. Today I got my information about the history of Tupperware from Smithsonian Magazine, Smith's, Smithsonian's Magazine, Smithsonian's <laughs> Magazine. An article by Kat Eschner, an article by Larry Gatlin in the New York Post, and an article in Mental Floss by Nicole Garner. Okay, here we are. Picture it. I did not write down any dates. I don't really care. This is like Earl Tupper was the guy who invented Tupperware, and it came out in the late 19, like the mid 1940s. So he invents it. He's a plastics guy. He works in plastics post World War II. And the whole thing is like. Oh, he's not like a plastic from Mean Girls. <laughs> No, he's made of plastic. <laughs> he's the world's first living, breathing, pl- fully plastic man, Earl Tupper. Um, <laughs> and so he invents Tupperware after kind of tooling around with a bunch of other inventions. But like there wasn't plastic in the home up until this point. It was very unusual to see plastic in the home. And this was one of like the big issues why Tupperware had a hard time at first. Um, they de- people definitely didn't use it for saving food. And, like, some of the same things you were talking about, I think it's cool that you did the story you did, just, like, the history of Tupperware, because it kind of kind of gives a glimpse into, you know, post-World War II is when it kind of comes out. So people are like, okay, you're talking my language. I could save something instead of just giving it to this terrible, terrible dog I've been looking to kill. Um, <laughs> but they don't like plastic. So they're just like, well, I guess I'm just going to try to sh- stuff this whole cake into a jar. So something needed to shift. I think here. that they had glass containers. They all everything they did. was glass. They did. It was very breakable though. <laughs> so their first invention was the Wonder Bowl, which was just like a big bowl with a lid. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting. Good name. I know. Look at this. Well, everything in like the 40s and 50s was like, especially the 50s, right? It was like futuristic, like the Wonder Bowl, the Space mm-hmm. Bowl, you know. 
Um, but, you know, I got to give it credit. Vintage Tupperware is very nice looking. It's much different than, like, the Tupperware of today, which gets stained with tomato sauce. And Thanks, I mean, I, capitalism. Yeah, thanks a lot, fucking capitalism. We could have had nice Tupperware if it's not for you. <laughs> I mean, not that Ed Tupper was, like, an upstanding guy. Cause... No, Ed Tupper was a Marxist. Oh, he was? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm definitely... like, oh, a Marxist mid-level marketing scheme? I'm down. <laughs> Imagine a Marx- Marxist MLM. Is that is it mid level marketing? Multi level marketing. Multi level. I'm like it's mid level. It's not really like a high level marketing scheme. It's mid level. It's just mid levels. It's so look. Here's the thing. So mid mid level multi level marketing, as Nicole just mentioned, is basically like a way of like it's direct sales. So like Avon, um, Electrolux. My I will tell you another funny story about my grandpa in a minute about Electrolux, but it's like basically when you get things at wholesale cost and you're meant to sell them retail yourself instead of the company selling them. Amway. Amway. It's direct to consumer and it's basically a pyramid scheme. But Tupperware did not start off as being like a direct sales company. It just was, it was tanking Mm -hmm. um, because nobody wanted weird plastic stuff in their house and like they didn't get it. They're like, I'm good with this. So enter this woman, Brownie wise first of all is brownie the cutest name for a human that could possibly exist it is but is it also sort of like um emasculating in a way so that you you're always just like don't take her seriously hmm interesting i have no idea all i know is that she was a real trip and she seemed like a cool person obviously we need to hear more there might be other things about her that come out that aren't so good i couldn't find any she sounded like a real fucking badass there's yeah. also she's do they talk about her in the dream that podcast about MLMs? yeah they yeah. do and that's a great podcast that you turned me on to um the first season was like really really awesome yeah but so basically brownie wise is a single divorced woman who quote got a divorce from her drunken and moody ex-husband which is like <laughs> 1950s speak for saying that he used to beat the shit out of her when he was wasted so totally. she she lived with her mom and son in florida and she started hosting she basically began doing Tupperware parties, which were called poly tea parties back then, because like poly tea was like the kind of plastic. Uh, oh my god! They I didn't even have a cute name for it. No, and and so she'd host these toly, uh, poly tea parties out on her patio or lanai, if you will, if you're a Golden Girls fan. Um, and she recruited other people to work for her. So, like hostesses would receive merchandise as a thank you for, like, lending their homes. Um, and then by 1949, the Wonder Bowls were, like, really selling fast. She sold, like, almost $200,000 of merchandise in a year. One woman sold more than 56 bowls in a week. Oh, my God. I know. That's a lot of bowls. Can you imagine knowing 56 people and selling them a plastic bowl in one no, week? No, crazy. Also, like, what was her technique? She's just driving around being like, hey, look at this poly tea I got. Well, I think it's community. It's like a polymer. <laughs> look at this dangerous plastic that I'm looking to introduce into your home that's going to change the... Uh, the whole way the earth runs and spins for the rest of time. Soon there'll be a whole island in the ocean made out of this crap. <laughs> so she's like, I'm looking to destroy the environment. Who's coming with me? Um, so anyway, yeah. So she would basically, well, she did it by like hosting these parties. So it's like, you know, this was specially geared for like women, single women. And they eventually got like men involved too. But it was a way for 
you know, the way I heard it, have heard it described, it was empowering at the time because it was a lot of women who were told, like, all they can do is, you know, take your shoes off and get back in the kitchen. And this is a way of women, like, selling things and kind of... And then other people talk about how maybe it wasn't great for feminism because it kept women at home and not in the actual, you know, workforce and doing more professional things. But I don't know. I think if it felt empowering for women at the time, it's it's a good thing. It's also a way for women whose husbands didn't want them to go into the workforce, but they really wanted to do something to, like, still stand under their weird husband's rule, but also have something of their own. Right, right. Totally. So she would do, <laughs> she would do things and she like started doing these uh, like group parties and these like really dramatic games. Uh, I'm going to talk more about that at the end, but this one was just funny to me. One of them was tossing a sealed Wonder Bowl full of grape juice around the room <laughs> to demonstrate oh the strength God. of the seal. <laughs> no. Really, really amazing. Um but anyway, so it just like it made me laugh and it made me think of my grandfather, the same grandfather I was just talking about earlier with the dandelion greens and who murdered and ate my pet. Um, he was an Electrolux vacuum salesman and it was like the pride and joy of his life because up until then he had been like an oil truck driver. And so when he became an Electrolux salesman, they gave him like a free Cadillac. It was like the thing of his life. He was, you know, he was obsessed with it. He was so proud of it. And so my uncle recently told me this story about he went to uh, people's houses and his whole shtick is he'd bring a bag of dirt with him wherever he went (laughs) and he would toss it on these people's floor after they let him in the house to demonstrate how well the Electrolux worked. So I guess he went into a house one day and he had taken my uncle Stephen with him on a call and he's like, look at this, son. This is how this works. He's like, we're going to throw the dirt. So he goes and he's like... I want to show you how the Electrolux works. And he plugs it in. And he throws the dirt on the people. Are like, no, 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 They're like, our electricity doesn't work. <laughs> so he just had to like basically crab walk out of the room having just poured like all this dirt on their floor. <laughs> I hope he swept it up. <laughs> I have no idea. But uh, it's really terrible. But anyway, so... Okay, I, according to some articles I read, the congenial atmosphere of a party is relaxing. All the guests are imbued with a group spirit of the party. The social spirit of a party tends to lower sales resistance of those present as well increase the competitive buying spirit. Buying spirit is contagious. It's a powerful, proven fact that you will sell more to a group of 15 women than you will sell to them individually, which is true. Yeah, because the sheep, the crowd mentality takes over. Exactly. Um, okay, so Brownie used her power for good, which is why, like, I mean, amongst other things I read about her, but she just sounded like a cool woman. She was a philanthropist. She established Tupperware Art Fellowships. Oh, so anyway, I should mention that they gave her uh, a vice presidency position, like vice president of sales, basically, um, in Tupperware in the late 40s because of how amazing she was. She was just like a regular housewife, and she ended up being like a vice president in this company, but she did not have a contract and she did not have any stock in the company, which comes yeah, in later. Yeah, I remember that part. They kind of, they definitely screwed her over. Yeah, they fired her. And she's the reason, that that's right, they fire her and she's the reason that Tupperware exists today. Exactly. They fire her and they give her um, $30,000 and then eventually like Earl Tupper ends up um, selling the company, divorcing his wife and like moving to Costa Rica. So... She- 
whatever. He sucks. But yeah, she went on to work for like other companies, like cosmetic companies and stuff like that. But not, not all of them were that great. She got fired in 1958 because yeah, she didn't have a formal contract. It really sucks. Um, he, he ended up selling the company for $16 million. Um, but anyway, I want to tell you like a really funny story. Um, okay. So she ends up doing like all these like wacky parties at the end of one infamous soiree. She surprised 1200 guests with a luau on a private Island, which she owned. So I guess she was like making some bank. Um, and she didn't realize that it was going to be terrible weather. So a storm <laughs> came in and started like, you know, really fucking with everything. And people got like really hurt and they were like trying to scramble to get off the Island to the mainland. And 21 people ended up in the hospital because all oh the boats God. crashed in the darkness. Can you just imagine, Wait. like, clay, clutching to Tupperware? How does this bitch have an island? She has an island, and sh- people got shipwrecked on it. And they had to, like, <laughs> basically save themselves with, thank God there was all that Tupperware. They just floated on the Tupperware until someone came to save them? <laughs> yeah, they're like, please, somebody. The Wonder Bowl. <laughs> it's you know full where of the grape juice. Was- where was the island? I'm assuming somewhere probably, I would think, in Flor- like off of Florida because she lived One in of Florida. The keys? Probably, yeah. One of, let's say, Key Largo. Montego. She owned, she owned Key West. She owned Key West, which, sidebar, I love Key West. Have you ever been? No, I've never been there. I gotta get there. But COVID is, I actually was planning on going there this February with a friend of mine. Um. <laughs> I would love to go to Key West with you because Key West would be a perfect place for us. I know it it. would be. But she was like, she's like, I'm going on a, she just had a baby. So her baby's one and she's like, mom needs to go on a vacation. She was like, do you want to go to Key West with me? And I was like, of course. And now we can't go. Key West is totally the place for you. It's like a cool drive. There's tons of thrift stores. You can just like stop. It's so expensive to stay there because we were going to go, you and I were going to go for a while, but then we didn't, it's like very expensive to stay there. Cheap to get there, expensive to stay. Yeah. That's why it's like better to kind of probably stay in like one of the other keys. Yeah. This is a Key West podcast. Also, Key Lime. I mean, delicious. (laughs) I made a Key Lime pie for Thanksgiving. It was so good. We had a Key Lime pie for Thanksgiving also. You did? Was it good? My sister's boyfriend is from Florida. He loves Key Lime Pie. I, we didn't eat, actually get into it because we we actually had a really funny thing happen to us, which I'll tell you after you tell me. Are there any more hilarious party stories? Yeah, there's a couple more. <laughs> Do you want me to finish All it right. up here? There's This one's amazing. Okay. So here's a couple of, like, I was just, like, scouring the internet, and this was harder information to find than I thought it would be. But um, I scoured the internet for, like, different um, Tupperware party games, like, vintage Tupperware party games. And here's a couple of the ones that I think are funniest. This one's the yeah, best. Yeah, you couldn't find it because Google sucks really bad and they won't publish any articles that haven't been written since the year 2018. It's really I annoying. I know. It is really annoying. Okay, but I did find these. So there was the Nickel Game. In the okay. Nickel Game, a game from the early days of Tupperware parties, an open Tupperware container is placed on the opposite end of the room. The party forms two teams, and one leader is chosen for each team. The leader runs across the room with a nickel between her knees and attempts to drop the nickel in an open bowl. Oh, okay. (laughs) How could you possibly run with a nickel in between your knees? I don't know. No, seriously. How could you? Okay, this player then runs back to the... (laughs) It's... I feel like we have to like do this on our own after the show. I should have okay. I should have practiced it beforehand. 
Okay. This player then runs back to the in the back of the line, and the next person runs forward also with a nickel between the knees. The first team to get all its nickels in a bowl wins a prize. Now, I don't know what the fuck this has to do with Tupperware, but it sounds insane. You're just getting okay. everybody in the spirit. I mean, that's like my worst nightmare, having to do a group activity like this. That's so humiliating. No, thank you. Um, this next game is called the Potatoes and Apples game. In the potato, what? Am I frozen? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm, oh, okay. I'm scared. What's going to happen with this? Yeah, this is not as bad. This is more just like bizarre. Um, in the Tupperware Potato Party game, the most contacts, uh, the host contacts each guest before the party and asks her to bring a single potato, not a merry potato. Sorry, Mister Potato Head. During the party, the host awards points based on specific characteristics of the potato. For what? example, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you could like, I don't, okay. For example, red potatoes may receive 25 points while brown potatoes receive 10 points. The largest number of points goes to anyone who brought her potato in a Tupperware. Prize, Rude. Can you imagine a, like just some freaky lady bringing a, a huge Tupperware full of one single like baby red potato? Well, also why is she going to the Tupperware party if she already knows about Tupperware? Exactly. Prizes are awarded to those who score the highest after all the points have been tallied. In a variation of this game, players each bring an apple and combine the apples to make applesauce after the game is over. That's like seven hours of work. It's so much work. It's so stupid. And it's just like, you can just picture that it's like such a mean girls game that the popular like ladies in the neighborhood are like, oh my God, Darlene, I love your potato. It's so round. And then like some nerdy one, they're like, Gladys, your potato is covered in spuds. One point. (laughs) Yeah. The new girl from California brought the red potato, which I never even heard of. (laughs) Okay. I have one more. Uh, I've never done that. Ask each of your guests to bring a $10 roll of quarters to the party. Place a bowl in the middle of the table as you're, that you're sitting at. The hostess starts announcing an activity that she has never done. Any of the other guests have done that activity, they must place a quarter in the bowl. If a, This is my favorite part. If a, This is where it gets real fucking bitchy. If a guest claims she has never done something, but someone else reminds her that she actually did... Elaine, you did have anal sex with the mailman. What are you talking about? <laughs> the woman that denied she did it must pay two quarters instead of one. The oh, game- my God. So it's like never have I ever. <laughs> exactly. But like with like housewives who get like a little too drunk, probably on like boxed wine and start like outing each other for all their like crazy sex acts. The game <laughs> continues in a clockwise pattern around the table, each woman announcing something she has never done. I would be mm. to be a fly on the wall. I oh, mean, yeah. A never have I ever Tupperware party with a bunch of <laughs> drunk housewives eating ambrosia salad. I can't even imagine. And um, then all getting together after the party to make applesauce for seven hours. <laughs> exactly, and talk shit about the person who brought like a fingerling potato. Um, so red hots in it. Yeah, oh god, do you like red hots in your um, applesauce? I don't like red hots. Period. Oh, my mom puts them in there, and I I kind of like it. Um, okay, look, so I'm just going to give you a quick summation of what happened to Brownie Wise. She perished at age 90, at age 79 in 1992. Um, another fun fact, Tupperware containers are imprinted with Braille. Really? Yes, I think that's very cool. Huh. And today across the globe, a Tupperware party is, guess how often a Tupperware party is held as of 2018? Every minute. Every 1.4 seconds. What? Yeah, over 500,000 Tupperware parties are held each year in France alone. 
Can you imagine that French people? crazy. The people in France, the people who invented Le Creuset. Exactly. They're like, bonjour, Tupperware. Get in here, <laughs> meatloaf. Anyway, yeah. that's my story of Tupperware. Well, I have one Tupperware personal experience to share, please, which please. is my favorite Christmas album growing up that my mom had was called Celebrate the Season with Tupperware. Oh, really? Yeah. And it Actually, was. I knew, I knew that. That's awesome. Obviously, it came, I guess, with some sort of purchase of Tupperware. Um, but it had, it was like a compilation album. So it had like the, um, the Carpenters on there and some, like some, it's like original classics or whatever. But, um, it's like the thing that I most remember when I think of Christmas is like that album because my mom would always play it. And I actually Aww. bought my sister a vinyl version of it last Christmas or a couple Christmases ago. So it's still available out there. That's so get cute. a copy. Get yourself a copy. Come Their on, head down. instrumental version of Sleigh Ride is Chef's Kiss. Oh my God. That's so fun. That's a great memory to have. Oh, it's really sweet. Um, should we go ahead and do top three? Or do yeah. I, should we do recommendations for leftovers or favorite leftovers? Let's do our favorite leftovers. Okay. What are yours? My favorite leftovers is to, like, I like to do, I like all the white carbs. So mm-hmm. you take, like, uh, a roll, leftover mashed potatoes, leftover sweet potatoes, and, like, leftover macaroni and cheese or noodle item and just smash it all together onto a roll. Mmm. <laughs> that sounds, I mean, like a Thanksgiving sandwich. Carbs on carbs. Carbs on carbs on carbs. Sounds delicious. What about you? Oh, but that's only one. Are we going to do three? Oh, that was three. That was like five. Oh, but because each item counts as one thing. Yes. Uh, okay well I don't really have a favorite Thanksgiving leftover I don't have a tradition in which like I do a Thanksgiving leftover per se but I will say my three favorite things to do like with leftovers in my normal life which is my number three is that when I like roast vegetables like I often have ends of roasted vegetables or withering vegetables that are going bad in my fridge and I usually always have eggs so pretty much every week I just take my withered vegetable ends and I make like a frittata mm-hmm. and that's I think my like most go-to vegetable thing I think that I mean, withered vegetable thing. ends is a good like metal band name totally we are withered vegetable ends fuck you Brooklyn <laughs> one two one two three four <laughs> Um, so, and then I also make a thing that's, like, really good with withered vegetable ends, um, which is that, like, I whip them up in the food processor, uh, they're, this, they have to be roasted for this, I whip them, whip them up in the food processor with, like, some pecorino, maybe some, like, pickled peppers, and then you have a dip, like a veggie dip. That sounds delicious. And it, it's so, so, so good. Really? Dip is my favorite food, so this is perfect. It's so perfect. And it, like, really, if you just have that, like, little bit of broccoli you don't know what to do with, or, like, it just works for anything. Or even if you make it with fresh vegetables, it doesn't have to be leftovers. But, like, roasted vegetable dip is just so satisfying. It really helps if you have, like, olive oil and pecorino. It makes it really delicious. But, you know, you don't have to. Um, You can always also throw, like, a can of beans or chickpeas in there, some tahini. And um, my number one... My number one go-to thing that I do with leftovers is make stock. When you were talking about earlier, people who mm-hmm. like really try, you know, as a chef and as just someone who likes to cook, I try not to waste too much either. And I have like a bag in my freezer and I roast a chicken maybe once a week or every other week. 
Um, and I just have different bags in my freezer for like my little vegetable, like, you know, the tops of leeks and the bottoms of leeks and onion tops and bottoms and whatever that seems like it would go. I just apple cores and I throw it in a bag in my freezer. And then like every one or two weeks, I just go ahead and throw that in a stock pot and you got a soup going and I make, I make broth and then I have broth in my freezer. Yeah. It's really a great idea. Yeah. It's kind of like my go-to, my go-to with It's great for these times when we're back to being trapped in our homes. Totally. Totally. Oh, I have another um, tip that I want to talk about with leftovers too quickly because I know we have to go. But a lot of us got really excited about making sourdough last year or maybe like years ago, maybe been making sourdough forever. But if you make sourdough at home, you like usually discard some of it so you can, the starter, so you can make fresh starter because otherwise it just overflow and overflow. But you can use that starter and just like put some, sprinkle some salt in it and put it right into a hot frying pan. And it makes like this delicious sourdough pancake. And it's very low gluten because, I mean, if you're a celiac, it wouldn't work. But if you're trying to like maybe not eat too much gluten because it hurts your stomach because all the gluten's kind of been eaten up in the starter. So it's really oh, good. Oh, interesting. That's really a great idea. Yeah, it's delicious. That's de- a it's Thanksgiving delicious. leftover I can get behind. That is a great Thanksgiving leftover. And you can put all kinds of shit in there. You can go ahead and put like you know, whatever burnt vegetable ends, whatever our band is called, or fresh vegetables. Withered, withered vegetable ends. <laughs> withered vegetable ends. Some kimchi is nice in there, scallions. Or you can do it, like, sweet with, like, some fruit and honey and butter. It's really good. Try it out. Um, This was a great episode. Great episode. I, what a Fun. great idea. Interesting. Yeah. I was going to, you know what my, <laughs> Nicole and I always chat about the show, like, a couple days before we're like what should we do this week and you always have like the greatest ideas and my ideas when you pick a fun idea is always terrible my idea this week was <laughs> gonna be death <laughs> <laughs> you're like let's do death and I'm like leftovers <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't even tell you that until just now but it's like mm, interesting how are they gonna make that work like a food comedy history Nicolas Cage podcast about death oh one more thing I did remember what my Nicolas Cage thing was that I had been talking about during the summer <laughs> It was that I wanted to get a cage match tattoo and I wanted to get a tattoo of like a match and in the burning flame would have been Nicolas Cage's face. Oh, that reminds me of another Nicolas Cage movie that really gets me in the gut, which is the uh, Sucker Punch or it's not Sucker Punch. Is it Sucker Punch? Oh, Kick-Ass? Kick-Ass. Yeah. The spoiler alert, the final part of the movie, he's literally burning to death while giving his daughter that he's horribly abused and turned into a mercenary. But um, it's like makes me cry every time because he's like on fire and he's telling her how to kill all the bad guys. Yeah. And it just breaks your heart. God bless you, Nicolas Cage. If you're listening right now, I'm assuming you're probably <laughs> petting or eating a bald eagle that you own. And we would like you to call into the show because we absolutely love you. I, I love Actually, Nicolas Cage. I read. I just read a long form article about Carrot Top, mm-hmm. and he actually hasn't had plastic surgery for the record. Or he says, you know, really? according to him, I think he's fucking but, um, lying. But whatever. He, it was actually a really interesting article. Uh, they hmm. just kind of like follow him around for a couple of days. Um, interesting. But he is friends with Nicolas Cage. They hang out all the time. Nicolas Cage spends a lot of time in Vegas, and he has a show wow. in Vegas. That's amazing. Can you? I know. Imagine what it would be like to spend time with Nicolas Cage and Carrot Top. Probably very boring, actually. They, they, I don't, it didn't sound boring. Like, they, they were going to wear, like, sequin costumes, but they decided not to. It seemed very weird. Oh, man. Okay. So my first instinct would be to think that it would be a rocking good time. And then I was like, well, 
that would have to be like they would cancel each other out and they would just like knit together or something but I feel like he's like he's one of those people that's successful who didn't like turn to drugs or alcohol or anything so he like the in the article the person who's interviewing him mentions that he only eats half of what he orders and he was like he only eats half of what he orders he has a 20 inch waist and I was like wow Okay. okay. All right, Karen. Top, whatever. Well, I eat all of what I order, and I <laughs> my waist is larger. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But for now, I think my face looks better than Karen Tops. But he is about fifteen years older than me, so we'll see what happens. He's in his late nineties. Oh my god! Speaking of which, I'm sorry, Amanda. I know you're probably so annoyed with us, but I do have one last thing I want to say. Right before <laughs> the show, I was reading news. I had a couple minutes, and I saw that the Queen of England. This bitch is riding a fucking pony. She's 94. What? She's 94. She's on a pony. Where? Oh, In, shouldn't she ride a normal horse? I mean, I'm surprised that she's on any horse. Can you imagine being 94 and mounting a horse of any kind? I can't imagine being 94. It's never going to happen for me. But I, I think that if you live a life of luxury... Also, I think if a TV show is being made about you, you probably stay alive long enough to check it out, right? That's true. She could have been airlifted onto the pony. We have no idea. But she looked very adorable. And, it, she, you know, the queen actually looks like my grandmother, my dad's mom, my grandma Helen. Looks exactly like Queen Elizabeth. Hmm. I, imagine if it was Queen Elizabeth. And I just found out someone knocked my door tomorrow. They're like, you're the heir to the throne. <laughs> like King Ralph. <laughs> have you ever seen King Ralph with John Goodman when he finds out he's like the king? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I always, for some reason, get that movie. I conflate that with Green Card for some reason. Oh, with Gerard Depardieu? See. And what? Andy McDowell? Yes. With Gerard <laughs> Depardieu, who drinks 14 bottles of wine per day. God, God love him. <laughs> wow. Well, we really should start a movie podcast because it's just yeah. obviously time. King Ralph. Yeah. So we can talk about King Ralph, finally. We can talk what about we've all been waiting for. That 15 people have seen and 15 people care about. <laughs> <laughs> amazing okay well nicole this has been a pure delight i missed hearing your adorable voice and i know i, I so missed you too and well we're gonna have a we're gonna have a chat after the show as we like to do okay hasta pasta folks see you later thanks amanda bye for bye. letting us go along you're you're a treat bye god bless Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. <laughs>